Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. So my guest today is Vix Monroe. She's an entrepreneur, an author, a money enthusiast, and an eternal optimist. If I may add, she is also such a fun person to talk to, and she is so passionate about the money topic. Her background is indeed in accountancy and economics and pricing with a career spanning over 30 years. So she brings a lot of experience into the game. She is passionate about money, as I've said, but also about investing and the economy in general. And her mission is to help women step into their financial power and become more money savvy in life and in business. And what that means, we're going to talk about in far more detail in this episode. One of the key questions we discuss is, What does wealth actually mean? How do you interpret wealth? What does it mean to you? What meaning do you add to it? And once you have understood what wealth really means, you can set goals in terms of how do I want to live my life? What financial circumstances do I need to build in order to get there? We are also going to talk about the differences between male and female investment and why there are differences and how we as women can become far more confident when it comes to money decision-making processes. So we are going into detail and Fix is obviously going to share how she supports women in general to become more money savvy, to believe more in themselves and their decisions around money and to really build this life that they want to build. She will give some insights into her passions and how obviously she became this money expert she is now and to share a little bit more with us the story about now how everyone can get there how everyone can really realize their dreams and their vision i'm not going to share anything else because i really want you to tune into this episode have fun and as always do let us know what you think about the show what insights you have gained from it and uh, we would love to hear from you and what else you want to learn about so speak to you in a moment Hello, hello. Welcome, Fix. How are you doing today? Good. I'm happy to be here. How are you? Uh, I'm really excited to have you here and to talk about money mindset today. So that gives me a lot of energy at the moment, which is brilliant. Meeting, you know, guests like you virtually is like my highlight of the day. So thanks for oh. being on the show. Oh, thank you. And we have a Kiwi here today with us, which is brilliant. You have lived in the UK for quite a long time, Vix, right? How long has yeah. it been? Over 30 years now. So born and bred New Zealander. And I left New Zealand at age 23 mm -hmm. to come on my big OE. And I mean, I backpacked around Southeast Asia and then came to the UK to work. And yeah. believe it or not, I'm still here. Yeah. And when you came to the UK, I still can't believe it. You said you had 30 pounds in your pocket. Yeah, I was. we spent a lot more in Southeast Asia than we'd planned on, including taking some flights where we were planning on doing it all by bus and things like that. Mm -hmm. So plus I bought a camera in Singapore. So ended up arriving with 30 pounds, which to put it in context, at that time, a one and two zone travel card in London was six pounds, mm -hmm. which I think it's, you know, I don't buy them, but I think they're around 30 pounds now. Definitely much more. Yeah, a lot, a lot more. 
Yeah. And we were really lucky because we actually had a friend who lived in London and we were able to sleep on her floor. Uh, we probably outstayed our welcome because we stayed for four weeks, but <laughs> yeah, we were lucky. Yeah. Absolutely. I wouldn't do it now. I wouldn't do it now. <laughs> we all want to do it and get out and travel again. Oh, absolutely. And those are the days when I didn't have a tr credit card and things like that, you know. So nowadays everything's done on plastic, isn't it? So yeah. it's no problem. How many credit cards do you own? Quite a few, too many. Too I have many. different ones. Yeah, too many. I mean, I'm always thinking I should get rid of some, but I even have things like Revolut, a Revolut card, because mm. that's good for, you know, transferring money to different currencies mm. and, yeah, too many. Yeah, I mean, my other half, his his most important card is probably the Amex. I have that as well for travel, the air miles. <laughs> exactly, the air miles. Yeah. And literally every purchase he is doing, he's like checking the air miles and saying, okay, once we can travel again, look what we can do with that. Yeah, look I was looking hotels. at my, I mean, we're planning on going to New Zealand in November and I was looking the other day and said, actually, we can go on, our, on the air miles now. Yeah. Amex is the best card for air miles. Yeah. Absolutely. So... First top tip for our audience, get yeah. an Amex get a, to collect the Aga miles. Yeah, it says one the British Airways American Express card, so the yeah. Air Miles would be eight. Yeah, that's the same one I have. And if you spend a certain amount of money in a year, you get a companion voucher, and you can have one companion voucher every year. And, like, we've been to Malaysia on Air Miles and using a companion voucher last – well, not the Christmas just been, but the one before. We went to India for three weeks using emails and companion vouchers. So, yeah, we've had lots of holidays from that. And we love to travel, so it really works. Yeah. And that is really something important I would love to talk to you about. You love to travel. You just shared some teeny tiny, very brief insights into your travel experience through Southeast Asia, arriving in London to work there. What does traveling really mean to you? What does it give you? It's freedom. I like that freedom of being able to go to different places. You know, mm. I love hot weather for a start. So I do tend to focus on places that have warmer climates. Although, you know, I have been up in the Arctic Circle to see the Northern Lights. It was beautiful mm. and it was stunning. Fab. But I was really cold when I was there and I prefer to be really hot. So it's about getting somewhere, being warm, different cultures, different experiences, different sceneries, meeting new people. It's about freedom, you know, mm. freedom to live the life you want, really. Mm, and that leads us so nicely to what you do. <laughs> I, I could literally feel your passion and your energy when you talk about traveling and I'm in the same boat. I want to, and, and freedom is one of my top values, by the way. It's same here, freedom. Yeah. So, so one yeah, thing absolutely. that's really important for me, for example, is to earn enough money so that I can live the lifestyle I want to live. And it doesn't mean I need to be a multimillionaire or a billionaire. It means I want to be able to travel. I want to look after my family, obviously, and be able to have good health care and so on and so forth. But traveling is something absolutely important and having choices in life. So what does it you do to help in particular women when it comes to money mindset? Tell us a little bit about it. Right. Yeah. So I'm a wealth coach. So I help women retire rich in every way. So mm. by every way, you know, wealth isn't just about financial wealth. It's not yeah. just about money. It's about time wealth, which is freedom, physical, mental, emotional wealth, which is health, social wealth, which is relationships. It's many, many things. And money's part of it. And I do focus mainly on the money part, but And integrated into that is other things. So when I talk about my one of my top values, it's also freedom. But and also to have the freedom I want to live the life I want, spend my time with who I want, yeah. where I want, when I want, 
I need money because the kind of things I want to do do require money. If I mm -hmm. want to fly somewhere, I've got to pay for an, an airplane ticket. I've got to pay for an Airbnb or a hotel. So I'm very aware that the lifestyle I want to lead does, you know, require money. Now, as you say, you don't have to be a multimillionaire to, to live that type of lifestyle. Mm. But you do need to be aware of how much it does cost and what you do need. And mm. I'm talking about living that lifestyle, not just now, but also in the future. So I'm talking about, you know, having, being comfortable and confident that you can do the things you want to do now, mm. knowing that you're putting away enough for the future so that you can also live the life you want in the future when mm. you've potentially got a lot more time, so a lot more freedom. Yeah. And I had the discussion with my partner the other day. We were standing in the kitchen with a nice glass of wine and we oh, were nice. chatting away. <laughs> yeah, we, we do love that. As you well, know, <laughs> yeah, we were chatting about retirement and both of us have the attitude that we say we are not kind of orientating ourselves on an retirement official retirement age. Yeah. We want to be in a position where we have enough wealth in our own definition, where we say, okay, we can stop doing the must do work and move into what do we really love doing? How can we yeah. give back? What gives us energy and passion? So that life doesn't feel like work. It feels just like doing meaningful, purposeful things in your life. And that you need to start doing that now. Absolutely. Right. Start planning for it now. Yeah. Start planning for it now, but also kind of lift the fruits of your labor right away. Absolutely. And I think the other thing, I mean, you raised a really good point, actually, that a lot of people or retirement used to be, didn't it? You'd work in a job, maybe you had your own business until the age of 65, then you stop working completely mm. and then everything was free time. Yeah. And I think now we're in a situation where one, some people actually, they have to keep working because they need to. Now I mm. think there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are saying, I don't want to be in that situation. I want to be in mm. a situation where I make choices. I may not choose to stop working completely, but the things I do will be the chosen you know, things that I choose to do with my yeah. time. So I kind of call it a hybrid form of retirement that, you know, you're going to do the things you love and maybe also do a passion project, which doesn't bring in any income, but it's mm. something you've always wanted to do. And it might be about giving back to society or to your local community. Mm. So I talk a lot about this kind of hybrid form of retirement, which is pretty much, you know, as we talked about creating the life you want. And in this day and age, you know, you can incorporate that with travel. You know, you can go off with your laptop, hang out in Thailand for a few months and, you know, spend half your time relaxing and enjoying Thai food and the beautiful Thai beaches and the mountains. And the other half of your time, you know, continue to work yeah. online doing what you love. So yeah. there's so many opportunities these days and it's up to us to create the retirement that we want. But Rather than just hope it will happen by accident, we also need to plan it. We need to plan ahead. Absolutely. And when it comes to planning ahead, how do you support those women you work with in particular? What is it you do? What kind of challenges do um, women come with to you? Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, actually, a lot of women I work are actually good at making money, mm. primarily entrepreneurs. They have successful businesses. But what they're not good at is keeping it and growing it. Mm. So, you know, we we live in a society where it's just like, oh, yeah, I'll have that. I'll spend it. We spend money on 
unnecessary things and things that we think we want, but, you know, often we don't use them. I mean, you know, I'm a culprit here too, that, you know, sometimes buy clothes and I look at my wardrobe a year later and I think, oh, I've never actually worn that yet. I spent money on it. So one of the issues with women as well, in terms of building wealth is women are not as confident to invest money as men are. Mm. Women tend to be better to save. So I'll just put that money into my bank account. But particularly now, interest rates are so low. And, you know, a lot of current accounts are, I mean, in, in, if your money's in a business account, you're pretty much getting 0% interest. Mm. Or if it's in a current account or a, or a long-term savings account, you might get a little bit more. But you're talking very, very low rates of interest. So if your money sits there, it's not really working for you. And men tend to be better at investing, well, thinking they're better at investing they're more confident and feel that they know what they're doing. Whereas I think women feel, well, I'm not educated. I don't, I don't know these things. So I need to educate myself and I need to know everything before I can invest. But there's easier ways to start investing because you can invest in funds, which are a mix of different stocks and shares, like, you know, the top 100 companies in the UK through a FTSE 100 index tracker, for example. So there's ways that you can be investing that, Yes, they require you to understand a little, but they don't require you to understand everything. And I think, as I said, you know, we have this gender pay gap. There's also a gender investment gap. There's a gender pensions gap. Men have more money in their pension pots than women. And we need to redress the balance. And so, yeah. uh, you know, part of my mission in life is about the financial empowerment of women. And I'm really passionate about that. I think it's really, really important What makes you so passionate about it in particular? What's your story that basically uh, led you to do what you're doing now? Well, I mean, the main thing in my story, really, in terms of my money story, Mm. is that my mother died when I was a child. So part of that, you know, I was 11, she was 35. And so obviously, there's a part of my money story there, which is that I kind of got into this idea that we're here for a good time, not a long time, let's just go out and spend money. So You know, I went into my 20s just spending everything I had and got myself into debt when I went to university, went to university twice, you know, once at 18 and then again at age 30 here in the UK, or maybe Mm -hmm. I was 29. But then also my mother's story, you know, I look at her story that she grew up, you know, at that time, lots of restrictions and, you know, used to say things, oh, maybe we'll do this when you kids have grown up. And obviously, you know, she she died young and didn't get to go many of those things. And, you know, I've also seen many women being treated badly around the world, not have opportunities. And I'm just passionate about us redressing that balance and making a better life for women around the world. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. What have you learned from your experience to get yourself into debt? And how did you get out of it? Yeah, well, I think, as I said, I was a bit of a spender. I was here for a good time. I came to London. As I spent a lot of my money on travel, but also I went out a lot, you know, weekends away, holidays, partying. Yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> but what I realized is that, you know, I, I actually had a relatively good job initially when I came to London. So I was getting well paid, but I wasn't keeping much of it back either, apart from maybe saving for the holidays. And then I went back to university so then I was in that kind of student situation and I was working part-time but I still managed to get myself in debt and I did five years like four-year degree which included a year abroad in Spain 
and then a one-year master's degree. So after studying for five years, I came out of those with a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and debt. And I had to really focus. I suddenly thought, oh, gosh, I've got to really focus now to get myself out of this debt. Because even though I had a, you know, got a full-time job after my master's degree and, you know, it seemed like I was earning good money. Yeah. It actually still took me a long time to pay off that debt. And at the same time, like a year later, I bought a flat because property prices had dropped at the time I first bought my flat. And I suddenly thought, this is a good time to buy. And I then got a loan. (laughs) I didn't have any savings for a deposit. So I got a loan. I told the bank, hopefully they're not listening, (laughs) that I was buying a car. I already had an old car. So I got a car loan of around £5,000, and that was the deposit for my first flat. So then I had my car loan to pay off as well. So I moved into this two-bedroom flat. I had to get a flat made in to help me pay the costs. And everything was just going out. There wasn't actually that much money left by the time Mm. I was paying this loan, my student loan, the car loan trying to pay off some overdrafts as well and well as live. And this is even with the income coming in for my flatmate, there was not very much money left. So I actually had to be really strict and kind of live to stick to a budget to try and get, you know, pay these debts back. So I kind of took, you know, I took too much on Mm. um, in terms of debt, but I did manage to do it. And I mean, timing was perfect for me because around three years after buying my first flat, And, you know, I was in my 30s already by the time I bought that, whereas, you know, my sisters back in New Zealand were all buying properties in their 20s. So I was kind of like the late starter. Mm. Anyway, three years after buying that flat, property prices had really gone up a lot. And I thought, oh, this is, you know, I've made some money on my property. And some friends of mine were buying investment properties and renting them out. And I thought, gosh, I'm going to get into this as well. So I took out some of the equity in my flat that I bought my only flat and I used that as a deposit to buy another one. Mm. So then I started on the investment property thing, buying investment properties. I mean, I didn't, I don't have a huge portfolio, but you know, I have enough that potentially would generate a a good amount of income in the future. And also it was around about the time before that, that I'd read that book, the Robert Kiyosaki book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was all about investing in real estate and how, you know, you need to invest in an asset that generates income. So I got, I got into that. That was my first kind of foray into building wealth. It wasn't planned. It kind of, I didn't have this thought out plan. It just happened with the first one. And then it was like, oh, maybe I should get another one. And, oh, I'll get another one. And it was just kind of spontaneous, spontaneous. But, you know, over time I started thinking, okay, what am I going to do now? How am I, you know, I know what I want now in the future. How am I going to achieve that? What's what's the best path for me? So initially it was spontaneous. It wasn't planned. And then I slowly started to kind of formulate a plan for myself about what I was going to do. And as a result of that, one of the things I decided after around 10 years of primarily investing only in, in property and real estate was an actual fact. I had all my eggs in one basket and I needed to, to diversify a little. I did have a workplace pension, but other than that, And I remember seeing the financial advisor, you know, with my workplace pension who was suggesting I put more money into it. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to put all my money into property. And this guy was like, oh, no, that's really risky. And I'm like, no, this is fantastic. These properties are going to go much, going up much more, these stocks and shares. So I was very adamant. But yeah, after about 10 years of doing that, I kind of started to change tax, slowed down the property investment and started looking at how I was actually investing my money and what the best approach was, which I decided was to have a diversified portfolio. So to invest in lots of different asset classes like equity, so stocks and shares, 
fixed income, property, precious metals. And in the last four years, I've added cryptocurrencies into that as well. I want to go back a little bit and talk about mindset. Okay, cool. Because the the big question when when you were talking about what you did, how you did it, what you're investing in, which I want to go dive a little bit deeper into it. The one question that came up for me was, how did you shift your mindset? When did you realize this is the step I'm going to take? I'm going to invest in my first flat in London, for example. So, and, and the, there's a reason why I'm asking that. I am obviously a woman. Yeah. And I would definitely put myself into that bracket that says, oh, I'm not confident enough to make those investments. And I kind of live with a fix, a male fix here. Okay. <laughs> <So> my, <laughs> my other half is exactly like you invested in gold, various properties, and so on and so forth, ISA and what whatnot. And he actually gave me more knowledge and insights to say, okay, this is what you can do. This is how you can build wealth. But I wouldn't have done anything without the knowledge, the insights and someone who's kind of having my back. So what did you do and how did you shift your mindset in that moment? And I guess it's a story, right? It's an ongoing yeah, journey. It is. Yeah, it, oh, mindset is definitely a journey. It doesn't happen overnight, does it? You kind of like chip away at those money blocks over time. And, and yeah. you know, I still have lots of, you know, money mindset things that come up and I'm like, oh, gosh, I thought I got rid of that. It's deeply buried down and pops up every now and then. But I think the first thing was educating myself. As I said, I can't remember exactly when, but I read that Robert Kiyosaki book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, he's made all this money and he's really focused on real estate. And I had thought when I was at doing my master's degree and doing my bachelor degree here in the UK, I've been thinking I want to buy property. But obviously I wasn't in a position to do that. I was a full-time student. I didn't have an income. I wasn't able to get a mortgage. So it had been in the back of my mind for a long time. And it was then I had some friends that were doing it. And they'd kind of bought a house. And then they'd bought some investment properties. And as I said, my sisters all had homes back in New Zealand. And there's a part of me that felt that I was being left behind. And I think what I had to do is, and, and I was scared. You know, I was like, oh, you know, it's a bit scary. What about if I can't afford to pay the mortgage? It's a big yeah. commitment. And I remember thinking, because at the time I bought my first flat, I did it on my own. I was single at the time. I was thinking, oh, it'd be so much nicer to do this with a partner so you could kind of have someone to support you. <sighs> but just through reading more books, talking to more people, it was slowly just that educational experience combined with challenging myself because, you know, sometimes I'd say things like, oh, no, maybe it's not a good idea. And then say, hang on a minute. So I, you know, whenever I had a negative belief about it or something would pop up, I started to challenge those negative beliefs and thought, no, why not? Why can't you do this? You know, you've got a good job now. You earn good money. Of course you can buy this and, you know, you've got equity, property prices are going to go up. And there was a part of it that I didn't want to miss out. And then I, you know, continued to educate myself. And at the time I started investing in investment property. So I bought my first my flat for myself in 1996, and then my first investment property, I think was around three years later, so 1999. There was a lot of people, you know, starting to do it, one or two properties. I mean, nowadays you get these, a lot of these, you know, professional landlords and they have really large um, portfolios. That wasn't really the case, you know, 20 years ago. It was like, you know, everyone gets a few. And then, so you start to be in kind of communities where people are doing that. And I think that kind of gives you more confidence. But it was also me having to stop those little kind of voices in my head telling me that I couldn't do it. It was like, oh, no, wait, 
wait until you meet someone. You don't want to do it on your own. You know, wait till they've got more money, get more money together. Because, of course, I was, you know, being a bit bold and borrowing money for the deposit. And I think just by telling myself, no, I can do it. And there were people also telling me, oh, no, you know, about investment properties. Oh, that's risky. Why would you want to do that? Which is not good because, you know, then, you know, your own money blocks come up. But I think it was surrounding myself with people who were doing something similar. Mm-hmm. And then we would kind of be egging one another on. And I actually think that's really important in any kind of business you do yeah. is to have a tribe of people that support you, that they have yeah. your back when you know things are hard. So it wasn't anything in particular that happened. It was educate myself and slowly chip away at the kind of limiting beliefs I had that I couldn't do these things. Although at the same time, I also wonder my mindset, I actually had a relatively good money mindset because a lot of people tell me that, you know, the things that come up for them in terms of money blocks are, I'm never going to be rich. Um, people like me don't end up rich. I mean, I think right from a teenager, I always thought I'm going to be rich Yeah. for some reason. So I, I think I had less to chip away at maybe than what some other people have got. That even though there's, yeah, even though, you know, those things would come up like, you know, rich people are greedy. You don't want to be rich. You don't want to be like them. I was like, no. Rich people can be great as well. You know, having money means you can give more to society. You know, you can support charitable causes. You can be generous. You you know, if you think about, you know, needs and wants and when you've got money and how you're going to spend it, I would say giving is a need that you need. Everyone needs to be giving something, even if it's a small amount. Absolutely. It should be part of your budget or conscious spending plan. I agree. And not just because... You know, it's what the society expects from you. It's It's got to come from you really to link, uh, yeah. to, to look a little bit beyond your boundaries and really to have a look at what matters, what who and, and what needs support and help and where can I leave a bit of a, a meaningful legacy as well. I find it very, very important and very yeah. motivating as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And I just think, you know, giving to something that, good cause something that means a lot to you and it doesn't matter if it's a small amount you know mm. every little bit helps and it makes yeah. a difference I find it fascinating that you thought from a very early age you know I I could be rich and again let's say rich and being rich is a matter of your own interpretation it's the same as with yeah. wealth I grew up with the money mindset that my parents literally put into my head growing up in communist Germany, you know, and everything was limited anyway, no bananas in the shop and all of these things. Uh, You couldn't travel. And it was all about limitations, not about abundance. My parents always said money doesn't grow on the tree. The other thing was uh, you have to work really, really hard in order to deserve something. And I literally worked my butt off, sorry for my French here, all my life so far but to the extent of burnout and all of these things, because I thought otherwise I don't deserve earning more. And when I came to London, suddenly my salary went up significantly as well in my roles. And I thought, no, that, that can't be. I need to do something else in order to deserve that. And it's, it's really, really fascinating that those mindsets and those um, beliefs can be literally pushed onto you in early yeah, time. I mean, I had I had other negative, you know, money mindset things as a teenager, but for some reason, I had this view that I could be rich. But I mean, and I was at that point thinking about money. I was thinking about money wealth, and I think it was because I remember being, you know, at high school, and I went to a school which actually I don't I disagree with this, where we were streamed, so they had you know top stream, 
bottom, you know, stream, middle stream. I, I disagree with streaming of children at schools. I think it benefits some kids and not yeah. others. And I think it benefits a few. And I think I was one of the ones that benefited because I was put in the top stream, but I came from, you know, humble beginnings and all the other kids in my class, well, they were, we were teenagers, nearly all of them, their parents or fathers mostly were doctors or lawyers. So suddenly I was in this class where they all had, in my view, they came from rich families, whereas I didn't. And then I thought all these people were saying, well, I'm going to be a lawyer or I'm going to be a doctor. And I was something like, hey, I can do this too. I'm as bright as them. Yeah. And, you know, I can, and I, at that time I wanted to be a lawyer. I can go to university and I can do a law degree and I can be the rich lawyer parent that their parents is. And, you know, it was, and I was the one that was chosen to be in the debating team and things like that. And I thought, well, that's what lawyers need to do. It wasn't the kids or the lawyers. So, I mean, maybe that gave me a bit of a boost and thought, hey, you can do this. And, and I think for the money thing, that made me think, yeah, I can be rich. But I did have some other stuff, you know, money. I did have that money doesn't grow on trees. I mean, my parents were very, very frugal. And, you know, it was a bit of a scarcity mindset thing, yeah. you know. And when I look back now, I think, you know, my dad's 82 now. And in terms of generations, he's from that silent generation. So he was born in 1938. So just before the start of World War II, so he'd been a very young child, but mm. that whole thing about World War II and rationing, and that's what his generation are about. They're about, yeah. it's all about scarcity. Things are scarce. This might come back, you know. And even though he'd have been very young during World War II, he still would have grown up with his parents talking about how they had rations. And this was even in New Zealand, which, you know, the reason they had rations in New Zealand was so they could send food to people in Europe, like to Britain, to support mm. Britain in the war effort. I mean, New Zealand obviously okay. supported in the war effort, but the rations were for different reasons. I did so, not know. Yeah, it's quite interesting. So mm. so there's all that. So I did grow up with that kind of scarcity mindset. And, and also, you know, when I talk about my spending when I was, you know, like a teenager or, you know, after my mum died, it was also because, you know, we, had, we lived a frugal lifestyle. I wanted to be able to spend money on things that I wanted. Yeah. And you know what? There's also an element about what do I want to keep really special? Yeah. It is nice to keep some things as special, isn't it? Things that yeah. you can look forward to and enjoy them. Yeah. And that leads us nicely to my next question. So my clients are mainly women as well. Okay. And a lot of these women are in kind of a bit of a soul searching situation right now. How can I leave my nine to five job, which goes beyond nine to five? Yeah. Um, when I juggle family sharing or adding to the overall income and so on and so forth, and really offering some financial security in our household, but feeling kind of miserable at work and basically staying at work and staying in their jobs because of fears, right? That it might not work out, not knowing what to do next and so on and so forth. What are your thoughts on stepping out of the nine to five? What can women in particular do from a mental perspective, i.e. shifting those belief systems to believe in, yes, I can do it, but also from a, a financial perspective to give them a little bit more security and hope as well? Yeah, so I think uh, that whole thing is based, as you say, it's a fear thing. It's that fear of the unknown. You know, what am I stepping into? Am I going to be able to do this? So I would say, you know, from a mindset perspective, and this is a bit what I was talking about before about my own journey is I got knowledge, I educated myself. So I would say before you make that decision, educate yourself, join some female entrepreneur groups or something like that, be around women who are also doing it because 
then you've got people to talk to. And and one of my key tips actually for people starting out, particularly women, is to have a support group, to have that tribe of women who have got your back, who will support you, who you can ask questions to. So whether you can join, I mean, there's lots of groups on Facebook and things like that and, you know, that you can join. So first of all, get some education because I think it's this group, this support group will help you change your mindset. So every time you have a negative thought, they'll be the one saying, no, you can do this. Mm. The same way that, you know, often our negative thoughts about ourselves, are we going to fail? We don't think that about other people when they're telling us, I'm going to start this new business. I mean, I think particularly this is amongst entrepreneurs because I think one of the things that's hard in society is there's a lot of people that aren't interested in starting their own business and that's fine. And their fear is deeply ingrained. And, you know, if you tell them, you might get a lot of negative kind of, chatter which is their kind of mindset and their negative mindset but I would say you need to go to people who don't have that fixed mindset that have that kind of expansive mindset thinking outside the box and have them as your support and then change your mindset and use them to help you change your mindset as well I mean there's lots of mindset exercises you can do aren't there I mean one of the ones is to write I mean one of my ones for money mindset is just to write you know 30 times on a bit of paper money is and then write whatever it comes up and write it 30 times and to do it quickly don't even stop and think and then you read back and think oh my goodness I you know I wasn't even aware that I thought that and you can do that with business as well you know I don't want to start a business because or I want to start a business because but if you do the I don't do the negative one see what comes up and then for each of those negative things change it you know if you're saying rich people are greedy for example that's a money one that comes up change it to you know, people are people. Some people are greedy. Some people are not. Money just unmasks us. It just brings us, you know, who we are. We're, the, we're those people anyway. So money, it's not the money. Money's energetically neutral. It's a person that makes it like that. And, you know, it's, so it's about changing your mindset. So that's what I do in the mindset side. And then I think on the practical side, because I think, as you say, one of the fears is about finance, you know, losing your financial stability from a job. So, I would say if that's your main fear and you feel that you can't go all in right now, I would say either build up some reserves so that you've got some money to tide you over for, I don't know, four to six months while you're starting out or start your new business as a side hustle. We, we talk about the nine to five. Someone wrote, once wrote a book about the side hustle. I think it was called the five to nine. So, you know, this is what you have to start before you can then make the decision as to how well it's going before you can maybe go in, go all in. So there are a couple of like, you know, baby step ways to go in if you don't feel that you can go all in. Because, you know, people do have different financial circumstances. So, you know, some people might have a partner who earns a good income and then it's easier for them to go all in because they don't need to make such a high contribution to running the family or the home and stuff like that. So it's potentially easier for them, but maybe harder in other ways. So yeah, it depends on your personal situation as to what you choose to do. But I would suggest, you know, for some people, they might need to take steps in before they go all in. 100%. That's the way I've done it as well. Decide hassle, saving money, put it on the side and then taking the step. But it also depends on what kind of risk taker you are. Right? Yeah, it depends on the risk takers as well. Some people are natural risk takers. And that's the same with investing as well. You know, yeah. some people are. You know, and I think that's why I said that, you know, men, when I say that, I didn't say men are better at investing. In fact, women actually who invest often perform better than men. But men invest more. And I think that's because they tend to be 
better risk takers than women, women a bit more about the security and the family and things like that. So here we have two characteristics already, right? We are a little bit more about the security, the family. You mentioned beforehand, we lack the confidence to invest. We save more. Yeah, and we want to. We want to be educated. We want to be educated before we do it. Yeah. yeah. And and those kind of things relate to exactly what I said. Educate yourself before you start your business, so you're kind of doing it before going all in, because that kind of meets what is for most women, you know, their needs. Yeah. The things that they feel that they need to know before they go all in. Yeah. When we talk about the differences between men and women, what are other differences that you have observed without necessarily stereotyping? But let's let's dive into that. So one of the things I talk about from a money perspective is another difference is for us women, we don't have, I mean, maybe younger women do, but we don't have strong female financial role models. So, you know, I grew up with you know, my mum being a stay-at-home mother, I mean, she died when I was 11, and my dad bringing in the, the money, going out, earning, you know, to work, and kind of a traditional family. So I didn't grow up seeing lots of women in good jobs or running their own businesses. I saw a few, but not a lot. Mm. So I think men have grown up with financial role models, whether they're fathers or their uncles, or they're seeing, you know, men running the world, basically. Basically, yeah. you know, obviously things have changed now, but I think that's a key, one of the key differences is our experiences and what we've seen in the past is very different for, for what girls grow up seeing compared to what boys grow up seeing. And as I said, I think men are a bit more gung-ho, you know, they're mm. about, you know, like about investing. Oh yeah, I can do that. So they're a bit more, it's not just about risk, being a risk taker, but that confidence thing that I can do it was women are a bit more, Oh, you know, this investing thing, I don't know much about it. Oh no, I'll stay away from it until I know what I'm doing. I'm not going to get involved. Mm. And, and again, we generalize quite a bit. I'm, I appreciate that there are shades of gray. And yeah, there are definitely. Some women, These are real generalizations. Yeah. Uh, who become more gung ho. And there are some men who say, you know, I haven't got a clue of investment and I stay away from it. So there they are obviously, yeah, differences within those genders as well. But it's interesting to dive into, you know, where are we coming from? What can be our beliefs? What challenges and obstacles when it comes to money mindset get in our way? And what I would say is two things to pick up on what you said to tribe. Something yeah. I've experienced, and you and I were talking about it the other week. Yeah, we were, yeah. Is that tribes are really key. And when you suddenly find yourself surrounded by people who, in this case, are entrepreneurs, who make it happen, who think bigger, then pay attention to it. They are there suddenly for a reason. Yeah. Uh, and then do you, know that, do you know that poem about a reason, a season, or a lifetime? No. Oh, it's basically a poem that people come into your life, this can be anyone, for either a reason, a season, or a lifetime. So when you said they're there for a reason, it made me think of that poem. It's a good poem, actually. Look it up. Yeah, I will do, definitely. And, and yeah, uh, pay attention to it and, and then see what is life telling you, right? What can you do with that? Um, yeah. And the second thing is, think about what is it you want from your life? So if you are a woman who says, you know, I really want to get out of my nine-to-five job, why is that? How do you want it to live differently? How do you want to yeah, feel? Yeah, what's your why? What's your big why? Yes. Yeah. Why do you want to do this? Yeah. And I think that's where it's what it starts with, really. As Simon Sinek. I think there's a book or something, isn't it? Was it Simon, Simon, Simon Sinek? Sinek? Mm, start it with starts why. with why. Yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. And it, it is key. So we've got to think about that and then seek support, obviously. And you are here to support women. And it would be interesting to know for the listeners, how can they find you and find out more about what you're doing? Okay, great. Yeah. So I have a website, which is, so my business is called Money Badassery. I will say that I'm going to be rebranding in the future to retire rich, because that's more what I focus on. But so this is, you know, hot off the press news. I'm going to be rebranding soon. But my mm. website is moneybadassery.com. And if I get a new website, it will automatically direct anyway. And I have a Facebook community called the Money Badass Community, which is a support group for women about all things money, really. Yeah. I quite like the title. Yeah, I kind of like it too. Oh. But I just, I might keep the Facebook group, but I'm changing my website and my brand to Retire Rich. Because most of what I talk about is, you know, about retirement rich and my target audience is you know female entrepreneurs you know mid-30s to mid-50s who are kind of starting to think oh you know good at making money not so good at keeping it and growing it and know that they've been procrastinating and know that they need to do something about the future mm. so that's kind of my avatar really you know yeah and don't we need and there's a, and there's a lot of women out there like that yes yeah, 100%. And and now is the time. I mean, yeah. come on, we are just about to get out of a pandemic, which is kind of one in a, in a lifetime here. And it's time to build new dreams and to live, yeah, build live well. our vision. Yeah, yeah live, live the life you want both now and in the future. So yeah, and I think, you know, you said about living your vision. And one of the things I do with, you know, my clients, when they're talking about the future is ask them what their vision is for the future, because mm. you, we need to understand their vision in order to create a plan for them to achieve it. And, yeah. you know, as I say, if you want to retire rich, whatever rich means to you, it might be millions in the bank. It might be a nice cottage by the sea and a quiet life. It might be just, you know, spending time with family and friends. All of those things are okay. It's whatever it is for you. It's very personal and it's very unique to you. But what you want is not going to happen by accident. You need to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So that's why you need to have a vision for how you see yourself living in the future. And, and it was interesting, like I heard you talk about your vision earlier, you know, like, or talked about the future, that you talk about it with your partner, mm. that in the future you can, you'll only be doing the work that you really love to do yeah. you know, rather than kind of stopping work completely. So you're kind of planning a future which you will still bring some income in. So maybe you don't need to put away so much for the future because you plan to still bring some in. Absolutely. And give back. Yeah, and, and give back. We talked about travel. that as well. Yeah, and have freedom to travel. So you've already kind of talked to me just in our conversation today, despite the fact we haven't been sitting down and said, hey, tell me your vision for the future. Mm. I've already heard a bit of, of your vision. So I, I already, you know, if I was working with you, I'd say, okay, you've told me this. What else? What else do you want? Yeah. Get a feel for how you want your life to be. Where do you want to live? What kind of house? Do you want to own it? You know, all those kind of things. And then to understand how we can put together a financial plan that will allow you to have that in the future as well as the things you want to have now. Now, that may mean that you need to bring in more money. And then mm. we've got to work on, okay, you need to bring in more money to have that or you need to let some of those things go. So it's not about, you know, oh, yeah, you can have everything you want. It's got to be realistic. But if your kind of vision for your future, if you're not bringing in enough money now to have the life you want now as well as the life you want in the future you either need to make some amendments to your future vision or ideally just bring more money in and spend less so you've got more money to invest 
And that's where the money mindset work comes in to believe you yeah. can bring more money in to see the options exactly. in front of you. You know, there are always options. And, and yeah. I couldn't believe it 10, 15 years ago, but it's absolutely possible. Absolutely. And, and one of the things is, I think, in the entrepreneur community, there's lots of women out there who started businesses and have been really successful and are bringing in larger, you know, making large amounts of money. And I think, and talking about it, which I also think is really important because quite often we don't talk about money, yeah. and how much we earn and how much we have. And mm. so it's good to have people who are actually breaking the ice, talking about it, you know, saying, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this be a taboo. I'm talking yeah. about it. And it shows the other woman, this is possible. You know, and these people say, I've done this within three years. You know, I didn't come from a rich family, all these kind of things. It's all possible. It is. And that's a beautiful note to finish our episode for today. Thank you so much, Fix, for being a fantastic guest on the show today to opening our eyes and ears up for a positive and successful money mindset. Lovely to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great. And for all of you out there, there were quite a few top tips being shared with you. And I would love to know and hear from you what you have made with those top tips. Have you done anything? Have you taken action? Has anything changed? Get in touch with Fix and get some support and help. Join those entrepreneurial groups if that is something in the path you would like to go for. But yeah, do share with us what has happened in your life to your life. And I hope you can really build this fantastic life of your dreams. Do take good care. Talk to you again next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.